0: Facebook, Elio David Diorio, come mouthful. There's—he's not too active on Twitter, but that's him on Twitter. Welcome aboard. Share it if you like it. Don't if you don't. This is the Jim Fan Show. It's pop-up edition. Only because you didn't know it was coming. Elio knew. All right, brother. Now I think I can work this. I think I can, I think I know what I'm doing. The, oh my! The producer is failing badly there we go there's my handsome man what the hell's going on my brother it's been too long
1: yeah it's been a while it's got to be at least uh what
0: 14 years so yeah 2006 I was thinking yeah. the other day and then
1: yeah.
0: I've been I have yeah. been booking lots of interviews lately and it's kind of a way to reconnect with the old friends that I haven't seen or spoken to in a while and the conversation ends up going something like hey you want to come on the show and they're like yeah sure well, what do you want to do and i'm just i don't know two guys getting caught up live in public oh. <laughs> <laughs> so more, it's, it's, it's like a diary it's just documentation for me like an old buddy of mine i haven't seen in a long time i wish i could have spent more time uh partying with you in uh, calgary and wherever else we were together ottawa uh, ottawa yeah yeah, <laughs> man, those are the good old days. We had a tight crew, and I can't believe how far I've come from the far left ideology I used to have to, hmm. you know, my moderate, center-right leaning conservative values. Now, man, I just, at the last five years, have been a just a absolute growth spurt for me in my political and ideological hmm. life. Weird.
1: Yeah, it's funny, you know. Back then, like you know, obviously. It was kind of through the Green Party that we met and uh, hung out a lot. Um, I never really saw the Green Party as, you know, I mean, I think they are more now a left-leaning party or a very leftish kind of party, but they weren't back then. I I remember reading the platform back then and the people that were writing the platform and talking to those guys, and it was so, I don't want to use the word progressive, but it was so enlightened, like what they knew about, the monetary policy and I remember the healthcare policy was so focused on natural health and holistic health. It was such a, there was more of a libertarian type of, um, of, of sense where it was, you know, it was protecting individual freedoms, but it was also understanding that there's a, there's a collective, and that's why decentralization was so mm-hmm. important. It was, you know, the, the idea of, um, of having, even, you know, when we were, You know the structure of the party having the center, the 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 central kind of command and control that never really worked with the Green Party because you had all these grassroots uh, um, electoral district EDAs or whatever you call Mm -hmm. them, all the different constituencies. You had all these little groups, and they were all kind of given the leeway to do their own thing. It was um, I don't know. It was just such a just reading that platform and reading about the the values and the pillars and it was so enlightened. And then it just seems like now it's just gotten into this kind of a watered down cello version of, I don't know, a cross between the NDP and the liberals. they, They lost all of that sense of holistic healthcare and it's all gone to, you know, heavy pharmaceuticals. Um, which you know again very leftist there's no sense of people taking on responsibility for themselves and looking after themselves and making decisions for themselves and uh yeah i really you know the irony of it is that you know i was the one that recruited elizabeth May of the party
0: i was part yeah. of that group too i think dude <laughs> including well, um, running with her i say with her for leadership yeah, with know. The, uh, you know like
1: i know but i mean i would like when i was on that federal council back in 0405 and um you know jim harris had done some good work to bring the party to a certain level of organization but leadership wise it was pretty obvious we needed a you know a leader with some profile and some experience that was going to be able to to reach the the greens and the environmental um conscious people across the country and I remember I suggested it to a few of the people that was I was on council with. I was like, you know, maybe Elizabeth May would be a good replacement, and um, I was working with her at the time. I had done a few things with her because, you know, she was running the Sierra Club, and and I was um, I was a city councillor at the time, and I was at some conferences with her, and we were you know doing some things together. And then I was at an event with her in Ottawa. Um, she was speaking, and uh, I said. This was in 2005, and I, I was like, you know, I got a proposal for you. You want to come uh, hang out a bit after your um, after your speech? She was doing the morning keynote. For, it was um, a district energy conference, and so we were chatting in the the lobby of the hotel. I think it was at the Westland in Ottawa. And I said, you know, Green Party is really uh, making some strides, but you really need a leader. And I, th- I said, I think you'd be really good at it. And she's like, you know, I've been doing this Sierra Club thing for a long time. And I think I'm getting ready to do something else. She's like, I couldn't leave right now. And so, said, well, the, the leadership convention is not for another year and a half. So, you know, you got lots of time. She's like, okay, you know, let me give it some thought. I think, you know, it sounds like it could be a good fit. And let me get back to you. And I was like, you know, when you do, I can introduce you to all the people that you need to know. And, you know, so, um, yeah, so we, I mean, we stayed in touch a bit. And then um, it was like in 2005, at the end of the year, we were at the climate change conference in, in Montreal. And um, that's pretty much when she made the decision that she was going to run for the leadership. And then she announced uh, in, in uh, six uh, May 1st. And then uh, yeah, the rest was history. And you know, I just figured if we had the right leader in place, we could win a seat. And if we could win a seat, we could win more seats and we could get into debates and we could start attracting better candidates and we could raise money. And I was like, we're just a leader away. That's really what it was. And we were. And she, she did a good job and she won. And, you know, put, put the Greens on the map in a way that they hadn't been before. Um, but then I think we just lost lost in the policy side of things. You know, like the whole climate change hysteria just you know I was I was pretty uh involved as a kind of a climate um, I was a climate change guy back then activist yeah like I was you know I was in office and I was pushing you know the climate change agenda like I was I co-authored the uh, global municipal leaders declaration on climate change at that 2005. Uh, climate change conference in Montreal. Like it was it was a document that got signed on to by world mayors like all over the world. And our municipality, you know, the City of Toronto signed on to it and there were clauses in there that you know myself and my wife drafted that we got into this that were, you know, pretty groundbreaking things. And some of them actually are still applicable. But then you know, the science was young back then the models were new and seemed to make sense. But as the years went by, the more you look at the data, the more you looked at what was happening versus what was projected. It didn't add up. It wasn't adding up. And you start to realize that it wasn't, it really wasn't a human activity. It was what's called, what is a climate cycle. We're in a climate cycle. And, um, you know, the climate is changing. It's going to change. And yeah, you know, I don't love pollution. We should be cleaning up the oceans and cleaning up the air, and we should be cleaning up the way we generate energy, and we're going to. You know, we're going to start using magnets for motors instead of internal combustion engines. We're going to start using more ground heat, more geothermal. There's infinite heat beneath our feet. Why do we need these big, dangerous, expensive nuclear reactors to make steam, which is all that they do. They just make steam. You know, there's all this heat beneath our feet we could be using for steam we're going to use tidal like that's what we're going to use in the future magnets tidal and geothermal mm. like i'm all about cleaning up the environment i'm all about sustainable you know food and clean water and farming and building and construction and transportation and you name it you know clean it up make it efficient make it clean and green and, but This whole victim mentality and this anger about you know the climate and the carbon—forget the carbon—it's not the carbon, it's the pollution. You know. So, anyways, I had I had a chat with Elizabeth. I guess it was two or three years ago, and I said, "Look," because she was having trouble. She's like, "I'm not getting traction with the environmentalists. None of them are supporting me. I can't get them to you know come out and support me and you know participate and help me get the message out." and and get any traction. I was like, you're not going to inspire people. If you just keep trying to scare them with this climate hysteria story, we were actually on a drive to Niagara Falls. I was driving her down there. She was officiating a, a wedding for a friend of mine. Wow. And, um, so I was driving her, my my wife and I were in the car with her and, um, it was a three hour drive because of the traffic. So mm-hmm. we had a three hour conversation. And you know, my wife was a counselor as well. And she was, pretty famous and well-known green environmental counselor. <coughs> she got on to Markham council when she was 25. So um, she was there for 10 years after that. She was, you know, as far as you know, local politics and getting actually, you know, some things done nationally. She, uh, she had a lot of, uh, a lot of success doing things that were really unheard of, like introducing the green bin, like Markham started the green bin. And then it spread across Canada, but that was her initiative. Hmm. That's where the green bid in Canada started was in Markham. So my, so she and I were doing a lot of environmental work together and we were in the car with Elizabeth and we're driving down there. And uh, I was telling Elizabeth, I was like, you know, if you really want to engage with people in this coming election, you can, you could be connecting with them at the municipal level cause you've got this climate cycle that's happening. <coughs> So I've got a bit of cough this week, and we're going to get more ice storms. We're going to get more swings in temperature. We're going to get infrastructure failing. We're going to have issues with our roads and our water pipes, our electrical grid in particular, at the worst times. Mm-hmm. You know, and people are going to suffer and die because of it, because we are going to have more extreme weather. So we can keep complaining about you know how much carbon we're putting into the environment, be protesting. At you know, big oil and whatever else you want to blame for it. Taxing or we up. can actually start to build um, and focus on sustainable and durable and resilient infrastructure. So our communications, our electrical, our transportation, our, our water, our food systems are robust enough to withstand what the climate's going to be bringing us. So if you have that kind of a message, you're going to connect to people at a very visceral level. Because now you're giving them real solutions. You're giving them real uh, situations that they have already dealt with, and they can expect to deal with more in the future. And provide solutions to that, and give people that sense of of uh, safety and security, food safety, water safety, electrical safety, you know, heat. Like if your power grid goes out, we've had it before where the grid went out for you know five or six days, and people were starting to freeze. It was during the dead of winter. You know, we had that ice storm. We're gonna have more of those. I said, you can do that. You can actually connect with people. You know, that's a real resounding message that you can have. It's going to resonate with people. Uh, I just don't think she knew what to do with it. Um, and that's not the track that she was on. And I still think that is what the green should be focusing on. Community energy, community water, community food.
0: Small-scale ca- small individual production of almost everything. That's what the goal should be. Like, let's get us all off the grid. Let's not have to require a grid. And do you feel like, dude, and I hear so much of what you're saying. Um, I appreciate your thoughts on it. Do you feel like, uh, you know, we were, again, I don't know that that's such a progressive seems like a dirty word now, but do you feel like we spent too much time? And I say we, from the standpoint of the left, you know, there was in 1993, the Green Party needed a guy like me, even though I had no political experience. I, I was of no use to the party because I was a neophyte. But then in uh, 2003, I ran another five or six times as an experienced good debater that knew most of the issues, knew how to sell the left, left's position on it, especially things like no one was talking proportional representation, electoral reform, none of that kind of ta- tax, bads, not goods, for lack of a better analogy. Uh, carbon fee and dividend, not tax. Like there's so many nuances to all those policies and I felt like when I was a, a good candidate, when I was, you know, educated, experienced, and, and entertaining, you know, you could always count on Fannin for that. I've always, gotta, Especially when you're debating other guys that are doing it for the first time, it's kind of easy. Um, I always enjoyed the experienced guys like Jim Bradley that were beside me or uh, Tim Hudak. I remember I got subbed in for a, uh, a candidate in Port Colburn or something, and Tim's like, he elbows me on beside the, Beside the uh, the table at the at the debate with him, and he says, "Hey, you done this before?" I said, "Yeah, five or six times." He goes, "Oh, okay. <laughs> now I know Tim. You know I know him to see and talk to. He knows who I am. But uh, it was I felt like the Green Party needed a guy like me. In '93, we needed a guy like me just as a warm body to run, so that the party wasn't dissolved federally. That was thanks to Mulroney. I got c- recruited by Vesna, as you know." And then oh. in 2003, 4, 5, 6, 8, 15, whatever those other were, 6 was definitely a year, um, I felt like they needed me because nobody was speaking up for the, for the issues that the Green Party res- represented. Now, the left has so much representation, and now I'm not 24 years old anymore. Now I'm a little bit more... You know, I don't want to end abortion, but I think the late-term stuff should never happen, ever, for any reason after six months. I'll just go there. That's pretty moderate. That's not an extreme position. I just don't want to see, and uh, I'm having a hard time with the people in my life that are my body, my choice, up to nine months because there's no room for flexibility up on that with those people. So I felt like the Greens needed a guy like me back then. Now they don't. And now what I seem to be chirping about mostly is free speech. Uh, don't tell me that more gun laws are going to make safer communities. Uh, uh, don't tell me there's a gender pay gap unless you're talking about young women actually making more money than men now before they get pregnant, you know, before the age of when they go out of the market to have children. Don't uh, tell me that men can become girls. You know, a mutual friend of mine, maybe I shouldn't outer right here, I, maybe I, I won't, but you know a very good friend of ours, and uh, both of them, uh, a couple girlfriends of ours had I was in Toronto mm, a couple years ago maybe it was maybe halfway through my because I'm considered myself to be green pilled or red pilled a red pilled green I said um like I'm really frustrated by this this is some, I, I take I love children even though I don't have them I'm like they just fill me up I'm borderline oh. obsessed with them I, I'm fascinated by kids maybe because I don't have them I look them out after I'm at church here and there and I make I Play staring contests and checkout lines. I just I'm fascinated by children. Anyway, uh-huh. I take my children's issues very seriously, especially uh-huh. the sex slave, oh, yeah. uh, pedophilia, and stuff like this. And yeah. then uh, you know my red pilling helped through guys like Jordan Peterson and even Shapiro and Crowder and Gavin McInnes. And it's been a, it's been a long five years of transition, and now I'm pretty cemented in my positions. I can be sold. I probably don't have a cemented position on capital punishment now, but I'm leaning towards more like, yeah, I don't think any man has the right to take another man's life, period. Like, what would you you know? And I used to be eye for eye, you know? Like, just take the guy out. And anyways, I sit in front of our mutual friends, transitioning a prepubescent child is child abuse. And they're like, oh, fan and fan and whoa, you read the easy. Like, I, they were really offended and shocked that I could say something so moderate and mm-hmm. which, you know, protects children, you know, I, yeah. I don't know. You know I,
1: that's, a, that's a really tough one. And I've always kind of grappled with it. And I, and I did have, um, I mean, I was kind of connecting here cause you know, I, I coached kids hockey for a number of years with a good friend of mine. And, um, it's actually his, um, he had a younger brother, who I'd known since I was little, and since like since I was in high school, and he, I think I guess he would have been about ten years old or so. And he always loved to uh, do the, you know, the Whitney Houston, and he you know kind of had the high voice, and he was loving doing the girly stuff. And
0: great, fine, and no problem.
1: Really uncomfortable with it, and
0: he got he uncomfortable it. with it.
1: Well, he eventually. Oh, your treated, friend. Okay. Well, my friend was like he was a jock. Yeah. Oh. And his little brother was this,
0: he, he had no problem with it he was not well he,
1: he I, I don't know what kind of problem he had with it i think he was a bit conflicted about it mm. but um at the end of the day the younger brother eventually did transition himself mm-hmm. and um had, had a really kind of an unhappy life and you know was kind of working in the sex trade and eventually uh, died of AIDS
0: well, I thought for it, sure you were going to say kill himself because so many of those stories you know end what? up in it's, suicide. It's
1: almost, you know, the way I look at it is you know, he was on that path where the, that was the outcome that seemed like it was going to happen one way or another. Mm. You know what I mean? Just because of so much kind of torment internally, I think he was just so uncomfortable in his own skin and he was so attracted and, and gravitating towards, you know, being the girl. And he was just in in the boy's body and, Mm -hmm. you know, I always struggled with how that happened. And then, you know, not too long ago, I've really come to a real understanding of how that does happen. And, you know, if you want to talk about being vulnerable, here's uh, Mm -hmm. the way I see it, the way I've come to understand it. And, you know, and kind of getting back to the thing about free speech, maybe before I get into it is that I think with the way we have learned in the past, it was very much an outside in paradigm where information was controlled and kids were kind of fed information in a certain way, certain amounts, certain types of information. And it was highly edited and all the, you know, history is written by the winners. Right. Mm -hmm. So increasingly with the internet where there's, you know, anybody can publish anything all the time, of course, there's censorship and and that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, if you really want to understand things, you have to be really good at cross-referencing. And you have to be really good at looking deep into what you're reading and looking for the biases. Yeah, and you want to be looking for biases of kind of objectivity and people that are uh, looking to be truthful more than they're looking to be right. And so, as I you know, gone you know down my kind of rabbit hole of investigative journalism and you know understanding. Uh, all the different perspectives. Well, to, I think uh, you're
0: like the me. Topic. From a standpoint, it's, it's a thirst for knowledge. It's, it's a non-ending quest for facts.
1: Yeah, it's not. Yeah, opinions, it's not trying to really you know, on a position and try to try to defend it and find you know supporting evidence to be right. It's about looking for what resonates, what seems to be you know the what resonates with my deeper truth, like the truth that your heart knows, not what your logical mind, which has been sort of programmed and informed, you know, as you've come along, conditioned basically. So what I've found is that it comes down to the ability to cross reference and to look deep into what you're reading and my understanding of of human incarnation is that you know it's it's obvious to me now from looking at even all the science like you can like forget even you know the spirituality because it's ultimately what we're finding now is spirituality and science are one we just never had science to to show what the spiritual leaders have always kind of taught. I want you to go do.
0: back to you that know, after you make your point. We're
1: starting to see evidence of quantum fields we're starting to understand things like epigenetics and neurochemistry and neuroimmunology and the, the experiments and the instrumentation and the tools are, are there to actually start connecting these dots and see the way that consciousness affects biology and consciousness is not biology but it affects biology so you you come to realize that you are a physical representation your physical incarnation but you come from a non-physical source and so that non-physical source is consciousness and it's it's outside of time and space and it is eternal and it generates these incarnations that come in it's an expression the incarnation comes in the biology lives and then you go back to the earth and you know the, the, the physical body um deteriorates and decomposes and the 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 consciousness leaves the is destroyed and that and then the soul basically creates another incarnation and incarnation after incarnation we're the same gender you know incarnation after incarnation you're the same gender but at a certain point you make a switch and you come in as a different gender like that's the whole point of this exercise is have so many lifetimes and every lifetime you have a different path and you have different lessons to learn and different experiences and then they're cumulative and they all get stored in your dna which also is non-physical largely non-physical the dna that we can see is a small portion of of all of it that really is you know 95 percent of it is quantum you can't see it but it's there there um so when you've been coming to the body times in a row as a male and now it's your time for a female, you, you've been a male 20 incarnations in a row. Am I breaking up there?
0: Yeah, you're uh, lagging just a little bit. Man, you went down a rabbit hole there, dude. Oh. <laughs> now. What? Yeah, You what? still got a red bar there in the corner. See where it says connection strength?
1: yeah I don't know if it's your
0: Wi-Fi signal I plugged in, so I'm hardwired now, so you should, I'm not sure there you're yellow now oh, now there you're clear again yeah, so you're a little you're a little uh you're a little uh broken up, but that's all right um sometimes it works itself out. let me go
1: switch menus closer to the modem, that might be better. (laughs) That might be better. Is it Uh, any better?
0: Yeah, well, you seem, you seem pretty clear.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So anyways, gender confusion. So, you know, you've been incarnated as a man 20 times in a row and you come in as a female, you're going to have a residual male perspective. But now you got a female body. So if you've been looking at girls for the last 20 incarnations and now all of a sudden you got a girl's body, you're not just going to stop looking at girls. You're still going to have there's some residual. It takes a couple of lifetimes to get over it.
0: I ever so heard it put that way? No, I have. Um, not quite. Uh, I know where, I know where you're going and I'm smiling because I'm thinking what a godless heathen you are. Well, you need God in your life at some level, dude, this universe and constricts. That's,
1: that's, that's the way the whole,
0: and, and I love how you, it's actually,
1: it's very God laden. (laughs) It's very, it's very God laden because I look at the way that, you know, we have, an environment of free will, right? God gave us free will not to judge us, but to see if we could find our way back from the freedom to choose to do good or bad or right or, or not, to, to act in love or to act in fear and to see if we could figure out our way back to acting out of love, mm. right? Cause God is love. So the environment we have is free will environments. The only free will environment in the galaxy
0: yeah, I so, was kind of joking-wise.
1: It's, so, not, it's not that it's, you know, people say, well, why would God make things so so evil or so you know, allow for such suffering? And it's like when you have these environments of free will, this is how, you know, we chose to come in to, to be part of this game on a big, long time horizon that's, you know, not the hundred year time horizon that we think of, but it's the hundreds of thousands of years time horizon, you know, before the earth was even ready for us to see if we could come in, forget who we are, forget, you know, that the creator is inside, right? If you really want to hide God from people, put it inside. It's the last place that humans are going to look. Right. So that's, that's what we did. We came in, we forgot who we were we played around and we bumped into each other into the in the darkness and eventually we're finding our way back and it's really you know it really is love that's going to bring us back and it's in, you know at the end of the day god is love that's what it that's really what it is all about but you have the opportunity to come in incarnation after incarnation and put all these lives all these lessons together you know that's you what <clears throat> that's what pretty much all the religions, not all of them, you know, Catholicism leaves it out, but most of the other Eastern religions, especially, they all talk about the the cycles of reincarnation. Right. Hmm. Um, yeah. So anyways, when it comes to the, uh, the gender confusion, the, you know, the gender uh, questions, that's how I see it you know, you know i'm less
0: it. concerned with it if you're doing it as an adult do whatever you want love whoever yeah. you want have sex with whoever you want it well to, within reason um yeah. but no yeah. uh, yeah. you know i have just stop picking on kids stop indoctrinating them stop giving grade threes drag queen story time in the libraries and public libraries and I want to be able to have the talk with my kids when it's time and bring them up the way I want them brought up. I don't need them being coached by teachers at school about very um, specific forms of sexual pleasure at too yeah. early an age. We we dress them up in makeup too soon. We uh, make them pretty too soon. Just can we let them grow up to be kids? You can't. You can't get it. You can't do anything until you're 16 years old all right, or 18 or whatever it is. You can't drink, smoke, get a tattoo. You need your parents' consent for everything. But if your child comes to a social worker at school or a counselor and says, I want to be a girl, and they communicate that to the parents and the parents don't take them for transition immediately, then, you know, there's a possibility that they could be coming to pick up your children in this country and say that you're denying them the right to... I
1: know, you know, and and I think that... Like, first of all, the public school system is just, I could never send my kids there. I just couldn't. It's just, and it's not about private or public. My kids go to Waldorf. That's inside out teaching. It's the way it's Rudolf Steiner. It's the way, you know, the way we're supposed to treat kids, you know, draw out their inner creativity and, you know, don't, don't, um, don't coerce them. Don't direct them. Just, you know, guide them guide them along with their curiosity and they'll amaze you. But anyways, what I think though, actually, you know, part of the whole red pill, um, journey is I remember back in, you know, back in that time when I was with the green party and I was, when I was in office in Richmond Hill in the early two thousands, I remember I had come across a, um, an online uh, account or a, a book, uh, about the Illuminati mm-hmm. and I remember I downloaded it and I printed the whole thing I had this like ream of paper and it was like this yellow kind of paper I couldn't really use it for anything else but I had it so I printed up this whole book and it must have been like a, like a half a ream of, of paper mm-hmm. all on the Illuminati and the history of it and I was pretty fascinated by it and I think I pretty much read it all and I thought wow that's really interesting stuff and I didn't really give it too much thought, but, you know, just year after year, more stuff would come back and I'd look into it more. And, you know, I, and then you start to realize, I mean, it's, it's like it says on The Matrix, there's that, that line where it says, you know, what what is it that men with power want? They want more power, mm-hmm. right? And so when I hear people talk about, oh, you know, conspiracy theorists, this and that, it's like, it just, it's like what you think that there's not people smarter than you that have more wealth and more means and have accumulated more power in order to protect what they have and find ways to keep growing what they have mm. what like you can't you can't think that big because that's not your paradigm the way you live but people that have that much wealth and that much influence and that much connectivity and it's been generation after generation they control the message they own the media the media they people don't understand the way the pyramid works, where you have you know the people on the bottom, then you have the governments on top of that and the corporations on top of that, and the banking on top of that, and the central banking on top of that, and then at the top you have a small handful of people that kind of pull the strings and run the whole show like there's nothing conspiratorial about that at all, but to me that's just like. It's kind of like the way a corporation runs. You got to make sure your message is right. You got to control your customer, control your message. You have to grow your market. You, you, know, you, you buy other companies that you can uh, align to your, to your brands and your product. And that's the same way that, that the world really works. You know, it's, it's primarily now the pharmaceutical companies. You know, The media, none of the mainstream media makes any money these days. They're all propped up by the pharmaceutical advertising, and they can only print what lines up with the pharmaceutical advertising. It's not rocket science; it's data. Like it's not opinion. It's you can. It's easy to see. You can just. You can look at any mainstream media broadcast and look at their revenue breakdown. It's all coming from pharmaceuticals, and farmers pharma, like you know, especially when you get into you know vaccines. Like that's the biggest profit center for pharmaceutical companies. It's. It doesn't require the same rigor as testing. It's so much less costly to get it to market and you don't even have to sell it to people. Your, your client is the government. If you can just make sure that you own the politicians, then you can get them to commit to buying billions of dollars worth of your vaccines. And there's no liability. So you can inject whatever you want into people. It doesn't matter what happens to them. You don't have any liability they're going to get sick and they're going to have to come back to you and get your drugs for the rest of their life. It's a beautiful business plan. Like you can't, you know, that's really, and it's not like you're going to call it conspiratorial, but it's, I mean, those are all facts. There is no liability. There is no testing. There's no, um, there's no, you know, trying to sell it, you know, with spending all this money on ads, really. You're just selling it to the government and they'll buy billions of dollars worth of it. And there you go. You know, it's a beautiful thing. You just got to control the message. That's okay. They control the media. So, and then, well, then you got people talking and saying their own thing on YouTube and Facebook. No problem. We'll get the Facebook people and the YouTube people to shut down whatever's not lined up. How do you do that? Well, let's see if we can uh, blackmail people. How do we blackmail people? I don't know. Let's see if we can get them uh, in rooms with little kids and, you know, naked, underage girls and get it all on film. Did that ever happen? looks like that happened too, you know? Like, and, you sounds know, like so. an
0: Alex Jones episode. What? <laughs> it sounds a little bit like an Alex Jones episode.
1: Yeah, I know. I know. You know, the thing with Alex Jones, and I think, you know, he's done a lot of really good work. And I mean, the same thing like with, with David Icke. But I also feel like uh, there's a fine line between getting information out there and being – Angry and being victim about things, so we're just protesting. Like, you know, I, I really love the the Buckminster Fuller line that says, you know, there's no point fighting against a system to try to change it. You got to build another system that makes the old system obsolete. So, you know, when I catch myself almost kind of getting sucked into some of the rhetoric and some of the nonsense and some of the yeah, you know, just obviously, what I call lack of critical thinking and laziness. Laziness to be informed by the headlines instead of being able to do your own research and cross referencing and like looking at actual data and understanding what data makes sense and you know what statistics are meaningful and meaningless. You I know, call see it uh, posting meaningless statistics all the time, especially about COVID cases. You know, I it's always it, about it's always about the case numbers. Like, you know, I know a lot. Hmm. Of that. I don't know anybody who's actually like ended up in the hospital with COVID. As so much as this pandemic thing's going on, I know nobody. I know in this whole pandemic thing, I know more people that have had to rush their kids to the hospital because they got a vaccine.
0: I know six more month people va- that have...
1: Six-month vaccine. Yeah. Had to take their kid to the hospital the next day because it was like touch and go.
0: I've heard uh, more vax. Uh, sorry, uh, more... Uh, st- store and no personally um more that have committed suicide or got bad street drugs and uh OD in this time or um just yeah. you know hit hit the bottle so hard because of hopelessness than i know i i know no one i have a girlfriend of mine that's in uh Johnson City Tennessee and she thought she had it and turned out she did and it tore her up i never met the woman i you know i'm friendly with her on on twitter that's it Right. Um, But somebody, I guess I consider a friend. I've never met her. She's, you know, I don't, I know her, I guess. But she, like I said, where do you draw the line? But it, no, in my immediate circle of people that I know, no. And then I see the stats, like, when are we going to get clear on this? And we're going to stop buying into the lies that the government and mainstream media are selling us. But, you know, I saw a stat the other day. I've been hearing this over and over and over that 90 plus percent of the deaths in Canada are in old age homes. Old pro- for profit old-age homes, mm. uh, you know, guided by the province, uh, ultimately controlled, I guess, regulations designed at some level through yeah. the, f- the feds, but, you know, the province has got the biggest play in it there, and these are big corporations that are trying to make as much money as they can. It's a huge business. If you know anybody in one of these homes, you know how much it costs them to live in one of those little rooms, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that, how can it be that we're not looking after the most vulnerable in our society. And this is, you know, this is what always drew me to being a lefty. Who's looking after the little guy? Who's protecting the kids and the, in this case, the elderly? Um, you know, and the kids, is a different context than COVID. In the COVID context, it's all we should be worried about right now. We should be putting all our protections into the elderly because they're the ones that are dying from it, you know? and yeah. they, And strangely enough, the elderly aren't out in the community all that much spreading it. So if we just did a better job there.
1: that's a tough one, you know, it really is a tough one because we've also got a population that's been programmed to believe that, you know, their health is essentially random you know, mm-hmm. that they don't have control over it, that it's, you know, it's modern medicine that's, you know, that knows everything. It's your doctor that knows everything. And, Personal and responsibility
0: possibly, doesn't exist hardly anywhere with us these no, you days. you couldn't possibly myself.
1: know your own body. Mm-hmm. You couldn't possibly heal yourself. The power that created the body couldn't possibly heal the body. You know what I mean? Like when you have that mentality and people, they're just like at the mercy of their pills or their, their doctors or their, you know, the medical model, mm-hmm medical institutions and it's like, you're already done because how do you, you know, how do you get people to take responsibility for themselves when they've you know, grown up understanding that they have no power? Like it's, it's, it's a tough one. It really is a tough one. Like I feel for the, you know, the seniors that are scared and you can't like, you know, my parents are healthy they don't ever get sick. We, my, my wife and I seem to get more flus than they ever do. Um, but still, you know, they're in that seventies, age bracket and you know, they're not quite as spry as they were even just a couple years ago. So they are a little, you know, on the, on the one hand that they, they have the sense of being healthy and of, you know, being not people that get sick. But on the other hand, they're like, well, we're over 70 and no one knows much about this thing. So it's like, it's been really tough for them. And the toughest thing for them has been, you know, I have two little girls. My brother just had a boy this year and how do they you know interacting with the grandkids it's like they just want to run up and hug the grandkids but then they're kind of like
0: Mm -hmm. should we just you
1: know should we stand back and should we just shake you know like it's been so it's been confusing for the kids you know like even a day like today my wife and i have been a little under the weather this week and It's not like I can have my kids kind of go and stay with my parents for the day. Mm -hmm. You know, my older daughter would go once a week, spend the whole day with my parents. Doesn't happen anymore. Mm -hmm. We visit, but it's you know it's shorter visits, and sometimes it's more outside, and it's sometimes it's kind of distanced, and it's just it's just been this really kind of uncomfortable thing. It's been tough on the kids, and it's been tough to get even the kids. You know, when you have little kids, they got to be playing with other kids. They got to be in environments where they're able to interact with other kids, and that's hard to do these days. The libraries are closed, and you know the, the the activities for kids, a lot of them are shut down, or they're just all awkward, and everyone's wearing visors and masks and hand sanitizer every three mm. feet, and there's kids who are like, "What the hell?"
0: Mm.
1: It's, you know, it, it's, it's been tough primarily for the older people and for the kids. You know, I saw kids the other day playing in the park. It must've been part of school. Um, and they were playing like flag football or something. It must've been like 13 or 14 year old kids are out there running around playing flag football. They all had masks on. Oh, like, how can you run around playing flag football with a mask on? No. You gotta be kidding me. These so kids like, and it, yeah. It's heartbreaking. You know, you know, but again, like I was getting back to you, you know, the people are on the bottom, then the governments, then the corporations, then the banks, the central banks, and then then the top layers, the elites. And you know, even this thing, the voting in the states, the dominion voting system. Mm-hmm. To me, it's just the, it's the crown, it's the British still using can't using having a long arm that goes through canada to try to control the states you know using the dominion of canada voting system <laughs> it's really the money system it all comes down to the money system you know i went out on a limb and i i went to court with you know with the bank and i challenged them on the money system and i challenged them to, to prove that they actually lent me money because i was like you don't, you guys are pr- making money out of thin air you remember you remember steve sinclair yeah Yeah. He explained it to me one day back at a party in like 2005, how the money system works and where money comes from. Remember Mike Nickerson? I do. Remember the money and the illusion or the illusion of money? He wrote that book, really good book, talking about how money and how it's created and where it comes from and all that stuff. So I did really deep dives into the history Mm -hmm. of money. At the end of the day, our money supply is what dictates everything. The The way our money is created, the central bankers, have relationships with all of the, even though the the bank of Canada technically is owned 51% by the people of Canada, which is unlike the fed in the U S and all of our shares are held in trust by the minister of finance. So something that a lot of people might not know, but at the end of the day, it's the central bankers, the global central bankers that dictate how the bank has to behave and act in order to be, Accepted internationally. Mm-hmm. So, if your money, po- it's, you know that saying, um, "I care not who is um, who is the government. Just tell, uh, let me control who manages the money, mm-hmm. who controls who prints the money, and I can control the population." So that's really what it is. Like I see this, I've come to understand that this whole political theater of right and left really is just theater and the real struggle is the the up and the down where the where it's the people that want more freedom versus the people that want more control the right and the left is just theater for the masses that's where the deep state comes in right Mm. they put out in front of you the republicans and the democrats or conservatives and the liberals as if there's some big difference there but they're all part of the same thing they're all controlled by the same people like there's a lot of republicans that are bought and paid for Right? The mm-hmm. ones that are not supporting Don- Donald Trump, obviously, mm-hmm. they're bought and paid for just like the Democrats. It's just the Democrats are a little more bought and paid for. And you know, you've know you had two Obama administrations that had a lot of deep roots. And then you had the George Bush Republicans, which was it was all that same deep state controlled uh, administration establishment. That, that's why when Donald Trump said, I'm going to drain the swamp, people thought, oh, okay, he's going to clean up the bureaucracy. No, no, no. That's not what he meant. That's part of it, but that's not what he meant. He meant the swap. He meant, these are like creatures that are, it's ins- like the insidiousness of it all. You don't understand w- what's involved, what's at play, how things work, how it's, how it's controlled. Who's, who's owned, who's owned. Mm-hmm. And he's in the like the thing that people don't, people that oppose Donald Trump or that criticize him, like those really left leaning people and all they can really say is, Oh, he's racist. That's all they really ever hear. Cause he's certainly not a crony capitalist. Okay. Right? He's, he's not, not a crony capitalist. He's
0: not an establishment guy,
1: not an establishment. He's, he's not, not, the, politically, not like a George Bush kind of guy getting these guys America, the and all those guys that can go kind of pillage the other, you know, the rest of the world. Right. Mm-hmm. The, Trump's out there getting peace agreements signed. Trump's in there, Getting anti-child sex trafficking legislation in place. He's bringing he, he's bringing troops back, right? He's he's divesting in war. Walking across he's doing the all DMZ. All those things to be complained about, mm-hmm. right? That Obama never did. I mean, he never did that stuff. He wasn't as brazen about it as, as what happened during the Bush years, but. Well. Um, but Trump's been, you know, he's he's been about honest about building, rebuilding America. He's like, why did we let all of our jobs go to China? And let them sell it back and sell us everything. We had no jobs. We're just consuming cheap crap from China. Mm-hmm. We've lost our economy. We don't make anything anymore. He's been what saying the
0: same thing about China for 30 years. He hasn't changed his tune at all. Not a no.
1: bit. And he never even wanted to be president. He's like, If you go back to his interviews from like the 80s and the 90s, and they yeah. said, you know, you ever think you'd run one day? He's like that's not what I want to do. There's other people that can do that. That's not my thing. I'm an entrepreneur. I mean, he's an entrepreneur. He's not a crony capitalist. There's a huge difference, but I don't think people on the left understand that they wouldn't have any points of reference for that.
0: You know, he's And the kind uh, of
1: guy that's like, you know, you should be able to you know, put together a project, put together an idea, create a product and then resource it and manufacture, sell it, employ people, and improve the lives of the people in your community and in your country because you're providing things that people mm-hmm. need and use and want. And you're and, and and that's really what capitalism's about. It's not about monopolies, the big oil companies or the, the shale companies or the car companies. It's not about protecting those monopolistic industries. It's about it is about supporting the little guy, the entrepreneur that can come up and make it because they come up with a good product and they come up with a good system and they're able to sell it and inspire people, build a customer base <clears throat> and build a team around them that can, that can have the, uh, the, the expansion and the growth and the traction. Hmm. I think that's really what he's all about. He's like, forget all this war stuff. And forget all about, you know, all yeah. about this, um,
0: Dude, and you know, you uh, brought up a good all, point,
1: you know, all the, all the um, the, the deep state controlling, you know, the money and, and having outside influences and, and all that. Let's just talk about building things from the ground up.
0: Mm. You know, you brought up a good point when you, when you were suggesting or saying, uh, I think this is what you're talking about, is uh, intellectual or mental laziness. I call it intellectual obesity. Because it's almost yeah. like you're so yeah. fat you can't even work out and then if you do work out a little bit you start sweating like crazy. Yeah. Uh and this is this is the majority of the people out there. I think that, you know, they don't have the time. They don't care about politics. They don't necessarily want to watch every election. Maybe they don't vote. Maybe they're not political. Maybe they don't you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think that that is I don't know. A majority of people they have their own lives. Not everyone is like us, and we're, we're politically okay. addicted and always deep diving and intellectually curious. And so, when you're pushing up against these people in your life and our lives, they are completely indoctrinated by the sound bites of the mainstream media. And you suggested, oh, you know, Trump's a racist. There's good people on both sides. And and this is how I became a Trump supporter,s because I saw so many of his quotes taken out of context and right. made, made into yeah. lies and then repeated over and over and over on the media and, and through other government, even Trudeau, or like a talk show radio host right here in St. Catharines, just perpetuating the, you know, there's very fine people on both sides and he's a white supremacist and blah, blah. And, and it's funny because when you ask these people, well, what do you mean? Give me an example of how he's racist. They can never give you anything. If, if you ask them, well, I, okay, so Trump's, it's Trump's fault that everyone died in the states. I get it, okay, so he's got two hundred and fifty thousand people, three hundred thousand people's bloods on his hand. What would you have done? There's no answer for that. there's you know uh, you know Obama had cages, and this is the only reason I look at American politics now is because of Trump. I never looked at it before, and it's not because I'm a Trump fan. I just gave him the room I give myself the room to not hate him, and so I don't hate him. And I, you know, I line up with him politically on some stuff. I think he's funny. He's accessible. He's, I love the way he puts his fingers in the air because, uh, you know, he's the least establishment guy. Oh, I love that. Uh, anyway, I want to get and I want to keep your time. You know, respect your time here because I know you should. You know, you'd rather be spending time with the wife and appreciate you talking to me about it. But if love, if God is love, mm-hmm. and the universe is love. And all the quantum matter that we can't see is ultimately love, and the answer is love. How? Mm-hmm. How? And this is what I struggle with. You know, I think it, I can't remember what conversation I was listening to that really had me focus in on uh one one twenty six in Genesis. Or I'll get it wrong probably. We've created man in our image, mm-hmm. and that. All our morality and all our laws and all our basic human rights that are given by the Creator whether you believe in a Christian God or not I just happen to I'm hedging my bets you know I made that deal mm-hmm. when I was a kid I don't want to get up there and find out all I had to do was believe and uh, have to go down there it's uh, no, I know I say that as a joke but it's partially true uh, you know I wonder and I struggle with this you mm-hmm. know loving the enemy Loving Mm -hmm. the guy that's different than you, I don't have a problem with that so much. My my neighbors are like that, but no. Let me finish. You know, when you when you when you're intellectually fit or curious or questioning everything, and you go find out all these facts, whether you believe them or not, or whether people believe them or not, or you know they're obviously just conditioned to Mm -hmm. to speak things, and they can't ever get specific. so if you're a little bit more awake or educated. How, when you see all these things, like I told you, I'm passionate about kids' issues, about free speech, about guns, about false narratives, about, you know, the gender pay gap, about transitioning, you know, how do you, like, I find all I can do is come out, and this is part of what I do, is I take my... Political feelings and analysis to the internet and I vent about it So it comes off as like bitching all the time making fun and criticizing. I don't have all the answers I'm, I'm not you know a political party. that has got solutions and here's what we should do in some cases but I guess that's a long way of asking you a question if we struggle so much with being love and Exuding it. How do you be a critic or how do you be constructively? helpful and not like fucking angry all the time cuz that's I find this is right now isolation lack of purpose I'm underemployed I'm more underemployed than I've ever been in the last 30 years even as a realtor and all that kind of stuff I find I'm not a big drinker, at least not now anymore. I'm a, I'm an abuser, so when I drink, I usually drink too much. But I don't like drink every day, you know. I find myself going, "Ah, oh, fuck it. I might as well have a few drinks tonight. I mean, what the fuck? I got yeah. you know, that <laughs> hopelessness, that lack of purpose. Where like, uh, uh, I didn't drink last night because I want to be fresh with you today. But I could have got tricked with a card game with my boys and stayed up till dawn, you know? Because <laughs> you're like, Ah, who cares? I got nothing to do. You know? How do you stay? in love and hopeful when you get so much of this negative negativity beaten on you?
1: Well, I think I've got some good answers for this. (laughs) I just, so on the one hand, I mean, for myself, the fact that I have two kids and the fact that I have Mm -hmm. a wife, um, we've taken this from day one as we're going to make this into an opportunity. Mm -hmm. So my wife took a couple courses that she's always wanted to take and I just didn't have the time. She had the time. Um, I've taken the time to, I mean I've always spent time with my kids I've taken the time to spend more time with my kids I've taken the time to um, do things with my wife just because things have slowed down we are more conscious of slowing down we more conscious of having some time to work through some things and just talk about some things that you know never we didn't really have a lot of time to talk about and become more sort of focused on certain things and just getting aligned on certain things and Doing some of these little projects that we kind of thought would always be kind of nice, we never really had the time. We did. We dug up a garden in the backyard this year. Mm. You know, we thought, hey, let's you know get. We're not going anywhere. Let's dig up a garden. We got out the shovels. And- How
0: important is it to get in the dirt with your hands, eh?
1: Especially with my kids, you know, that's one of the things I love about Waldorf. They get them outside every day, rain or shine. They get them in the parks and in the dirt, and then you know they have these ceremonies around trees and oh, yeah. you know, flowers and bees. And my daughter can knit so and all these things are like, Like they have, they have hand working stuff. They do clay, they do woodworking. They don't have a piece of plastic in that school. It's all wood and stone. And it's like, it's really important. So, um, so that's on the one hand on the family side of things. And you know, kids, kids keep you honest, Mm, you know, like I can't, if I can spend time with my kids, I don't want to spend time with my kids hungover, you know? And if I'm going to go out to, to a party, which I'm not doing much of these days, right. and I don't want to come home at 6 o'clock in the morning and feel like I'm a wreck. And now my kids are just waking up and I just want to sleep. You know, right. I, Not not fun, not cool. So I, I, I started playing soccer about uh, 10 years ago, and I've been playing like every single week sporadically throughout the lockdown. We were playing a bit, but I have gotten into good shape. Uh, we eat really well, you know, I have protein shakes and, and green drinks from breakfast and stuff. We eat all organic. So we really do take care of ourselves and we, you know, we do that, but it's, you know, it's easier to do when you have a family and you have everyone kind of buying into it. Right. So you're mm-hmm. almost like you're kind of accountable to everybody else. And if I'm going to be, we don't have TV, we cut off our cable a long time ago. So we're just conscious about what we watch. My daughter doesn't watch anything on YouTube if it's not an Italian. And we watch what she watches to make sure the energy is good, but she's fluent in Italian because of that. She doesn't watch for entertainment. She watches for education. So, wow. um, so I mean, okay, there was a lot in there, but when we talk about being um, loving, getting back to what I was saying before about lifetimes and incarnations, and I think what we're in now is people like you and me and people that actually do look deeper and do have – do have a sense of there's more and there's more than what we're seeing and you know, the shallowness kind of gets to us and we can't really, you know, accept it. We're always looking through the curtain kind of thing. That's an indication that you're what's what you'd call an old soul. means you've had a lot of life and you've had so much experience on this planet. There's deep, there's, it's, In your DNA, you know more. You've uncovered truths in other lifetimes. You've kind of forgotten in here, but in this lifetime, but not really. It's there. It's coming to the surface. And this 2012 period, it's interesting at the beginning of this discussion, you talked about catching up with old friends. And I thought, what a great forum and format to do this, where you're talking to people that you haven't really talked to since before (laughs) the shift, before the 2012 and then and now we're past 2012. I mean, it's not it's not you know mystical. I guess in some ways it is, but it's also very scientific and it's astronomical as well as astrological, where it's a very specific shift in energy. The, the the solar system is in a different part of space it's never been in before. The planets are lined up in ways they've never been lined up before. There's different energies coming in, and that's part of the quantumness, like the magnetic we're in the heliosphere of the sun, like the quantum energy of the sun comes right into your dna like the big affects the small and the small affects the big so if you can be the example in your life of being that love you're going to radiate that to the people around you if you can be non judgmental and you can be able to observe
0: please a
1: neutral perspective <laughs> and you can see someone who is in their own struggle and in their own uh un- insecurity and uncertainty they're going to have challenges in their life. It's going to play out in other areas in their life. They're going to have health challenges. They're going to have drama. They're going to have, they're going to struggle with different things. Everyone's got their own sort of combination and ingredients of personality, and characteristics, and experiences. People who are in fear, that fear will affect them at a cellular level. The worry tears you apart. Biologically, at a cellular level, it's going to manifest in the physical. And we're, what we're ha- what's happening now in this new energy is faster healings and faster demise. If you're someone who's in fear a lot, it's going to go to your weakest organs, and you're going to start to have rapid declining health. If you're someone who can get into the present moment and be in, in alignment with your higher self, with your soul, and your soul lives in oneness in oneness with all that is which is source energy, spirit, God, whatever you want to call it, that's what it is. You're directly connected. You can't separate yourself. Don't think you're so special that mm-hmm. you can disconnect yourself from God. God is all it is. Mm-hmm. We've cut ourselves off. We've forgotten who we are, but we can reconnect and remember. That that's, that's who we are. So if you can get into that vibration, again, this is getting back to the science of it. Look at what Dr. Joe Dispenza is doing. Look at his research and the, the, um, some of his seminars. Look at Bruce Lipton's. what these guys are talking about. They're proving what they've proven, how it all really works, how our system works, how our field is where it's actually the field that emits the matter. It's not the matter that emits the field. When you think in those terms, you realize you're an energy field and what you're manifesting is a function of what's going on in your field. Manage your field. Be in a state of well-being, ease, presence. Be in those positive vibrations and you're going to start to impact not just what, what is around you, but quantum energy travels through the field beyond space and time. You can share thoughts with people on the other side of the planet. In in like uh, identical twins do it all the time. They can you can have one on another side of the. They're so on the same frequency. One hap one thing happens to one, the other one senses it right away. How is that? Because the field space is what connects us. It's not the we always think about wires connecting us. Well, our phones have proven that we're connected by the space in between us. So what you broadcast has infinite effect. So you it doesn't take. 90% of the world to become enlightened and aware. It takes less than one half of 1% to be broadcasting in a coherent vibration to start to to shift and balance and harmonize the world around them. So if you can be that, be that example, be it for yourself, be it for the people around you, it's not a holier-than-thou kind of a thing, and it's not a preaching, and not, it's not really that. It's just being able to be comfortable in your own skin, being at ease, not broadcasting. I I know it's hard and it's part of the game of being human. Like you want to have a sarcastic remark. Sometimes you want to point things out that make no sense. And you want to point things out that people are misunderstanding or too lazy to understand because you know, they're just not critically thinking. You want to do that, but you also want to realize, you know, what do I really want to accomplish here? And so, the end of the day, there was, another, there was another politician in our local circle here that um, was a counselor in the city of Toronto and has been a good friend of ours for a long time. One of the things he used to say was the best revenge is living well. Amen to that. You know, you live well, you be the example of how how much well-being a human can have those Mm -hmm. people that are spinning in drama at a certain point, they're going to notice like, what are you doing differently? How come you don't have the drama? How come you're not all stressed out and pissed off and angry and suffering and poor and broke. And why aren't you being a victim? Like all these other victims, like victim mentality has what has to go. And that's the one thing that if we could get that out of the green party and go back to being that kind of a libertarian, you remember the blue greens Mm -hmm. conservatively minded, you know, had those values. It's just the victim, that victim energy just destroys everything. Again, and it goes back just, to lack of personal responsibility. You're angry all the time. And it's mm-hmm. like, ah, get away from me.
0: The government so, owes example, me. Example.
1: That's the answer. Mm. Get good at it. Get really good. at You know, be a master of love. Get really good at that. And everything starts to change. doesn't happen overnight, but you know, and keep one more thing, prayer and meditation are really the same thing. Mm, amen. If that's you're going to so- do well in prayer, you have to be able to meditate because meditate is where you get into present time and you kind of withdraw from all of the, all of the mental activity that's mm-hmm. related to the world around you. You kind of go within and from there you can listen. And from there you can understand your true desires and you can think them and communicate them. And that's prayer.
0: Hmm. I'm smiling cause I'm sitting here thinking I've, I had forgotten what I like most about you. You're a freak, man. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not being sarcastic. I'm being very loving when I say, dude, you are some new age freak. I forgot, man. We need to hang out more often. Love guys like I, you.
1: I, I, I don't know. I, I don't I think that's so while about the new age thing. Cause I'm telling you there's science that yeah. backs it all up. It's just again, you gotta be willing to take the time to go look for it and look at it, right? Because it's not, it's not in the headlines.
0: I hear ya, and I'm frustrated by you know the uh, propaganda that's sold to us these days. And I think that's that's what they do. They break us, and then they keep us scared, and then we buy stuff, and then we're and then we owe the government, uh, that's brother. It. Just before we get out, um, one of my favorite uh, videos on YouTube is a video called "A Gathering of Men." It's done by. An older, white-haired, eccentric poet named Robert Bly, B-L-Y. And I think he's interviewed by one of the old 60 Minutes uh, hosts. Uh-huh. And he really opened my eyes about um, the masculine condition. And this is probably in the 70s they were talking about it, maybe in the first wave of fe- feminism, not that I even know the difference between the uh-huh. waves and stuff like that, but I know they they were different ideologically. And he was talking about the loss of ceremony, how I would be described as a 52-year-old grown child, man, because of lack of ceremony, you know, where they are abducted by the elders, dragged basically off the mother's tit, you know, Uh at 10, 11, 12 years old, um, The mother screaming, you know, the the warriors are, you know, grabbing the kid and taking him across the bridge to the island where he's going to spend a year with the elders and and they kill the boy figuratively and he comes back a man and that part of his life is over don't play with toys anymore now you're an elder now you're a leader now you're all these things and and how that's affected our kids today that you know taking the man out of the home in the industrial age now we've sent women into the the work field and we're not really sure about the impact of that the fatherlessness that plagues america especially in the black community so that our boys our young boys are are searching for elders and mentors, and then they get picked up by gangs. And then we know what happens to them then. And that this hopelessness, uh, I say that almost every issue you can talk to me today about goes back to fatherlessness, Uh, the breakdown of the traditional family, man, woman, and child. And well, we did kill God too, figuratively. I think it was Nietzsche that lamented about that, he wasn't celebrating and he said, what do you think is going to happen? You kill God, you take out the foundations of a successful society that's been proven over a millennia what do you think is going to happen when you cut all the foundations out? It's going to collapse on itself and so uh, Robert Bly, uh, if you haven't looked at it it, it's great, but he talks about this idea of um, lack of ceremony and lack of eldership and lack of wisdom that's being transferred down through the the times and I'm broken over it Uh, you know I'm childless um I I should probably become I I mean I'm a mentor in some capacities to a couple people that used to be kids that are grown men now I enjoy that but I should probably get plugged into the younger generation a little bit more if I don't end up having my own but you approached me at one time and we spoke about it briefly Uh, Take as long as you need, but just in case there's fathers out there, you've got a group, a a private invite only group. uh, Is it on Facebook? Just tell me a little bit about the work you're doing there. All I remember is I thought it had to do with fatherless men or maybe just men. men. So,
1: I mean, so the group's called Daddyus and it was founded by a friend of mine, um, Evan Hill, and his partner, Scott. Well, his. His friend Scott, who's in Australia, they're chiropractors, and um, uh, the idea, the the plan, the objective was to you know provide a support group for men, for fathers, just because there's you know there's so little out there in terms of resources and support for men. Like men are so, in some ways, um, men are more involved with kids these days now that you do have a lot of women working and you have a lot of men that lose their jobs and women still working. So you, you've got these you know, stay at home dad kind of phenomenon that's happened. I mean, yes, there's still lots of fatherlessness, but you have also more like, you know, when my first daughter was born, I was the primary caregiver for her for the first few years. Um, then after you know a certain point we kind of switched and I started working full time and my wife's been home. Um, but at that time, I found that there wasn't a lot of support for guys, and fortunately, intuitively, you know, I spent a lot of time with kids. I coached hockey. A lot of my friends already had kids. I've just always been good with kids. Even when I was younger, and I had younger cousins, of you know, when they were two, three, four, and I was you know, 10, 12, 15. I was just always really good with kids. So I never felt like I was really um, struggling with uh, when I was home with my daughter, but I did realize that everything was oriented towards women. There were a lot of mom's groups. There were all kinds of mom's groups out there and moms in the park and mom yoga and mom and baby this and that, but there was hardly anything for guys. So, uh, and we found that guys were primarily, um, when it comes to looking for parenting advice on the internet, if you look at the searches, it was mostly guys that were looking for parenting advice so we wanted it to be a place where kids, uh, where you know, uh, dads could go to, uh, you know, share issues, get support, ask questions, get some help. So um, you know, so they could be good dads. And it started up a couple years ago. Uh, I worked on it uh, over a year, about a year, a year and a half. I was pretty heavily involved, less involved in the last little while, but I still post in there sometimes. But uh, yeah, it's got it's got some really high engagement numbers. Like ninety percent of the people that join participate, um, and there's a lot of people that found a lot of value out of it. It's not for telling jokes about uh, you know here look at look at how bad of a dad I am. I let my kid do this, or you look at this funny picture of my kid eating too much chocolate. It's not you know there may be a little bit of that, but it's primarily for you know sharing real of information and support and getting some tough questions answered for guys that don't really have a lot of other places to go. So it's called DADDIUS, D-A-D-D-I-U-S, and it's where conscious dads uh, connect, communicate, and collaborate.
0: Cool. So just on Facebook?
1: Uh, it does have. There is a website as well. I believe it's daddius.com. All right. uh, but like most of the action is on the Facebook group.
0: Brother, I love you, man. It's been way too long.
1: Yeah, it has. It's been a pleasure. Really, uh, it was really cool being able to hang out like this. And uh, I mean, see a lot of your stuff on social media here and there and, you know, engage with it sometimes. Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, Yeah, yeah. interesting times. And uh, nice having, uh, you know, people to reconnect with like this.
0: Yeah, brother, contact information for those that want to get a hold of you.
1: Uh, well, best thing for me is, I guess email's always best, leo.diorio at gmail.com. Uh, I just started a parlor account. Ooh. I haven't really used much of it, but, um.
0: Interesting.
1: Well, you know, free speech, yeah. censorship resistant, right. I don't know, kind of like it. So I'm going to have a look at it, but, um, not really not really full tilt on it yet. Yeah. Well, it's, Um, I mean, yeah, people could always, you know, connect with me through you as well. Um, but yeah.
0: Yeah. The parlor is interesting and I appreciate the whole freedom of speech thing and, uh, I, I, I want to participate more in it, but it's just, it's not there as far as the reaction goes. It probably will be there for me a lot more once I have my final days on Twitter and Facebook, which I feel are, probably not too far off, especially if I do conversations like this, which doesn't seem offensive, but I'm telling you, I'm a huge, Anyway, that's ever listened to my stuff knows I'm gay for Gavin. I'm I'm a huge Gavin McInnes fan. And I say that, you know, jokingly, because, well, I still use the word gay sometimes. Um, and I usually use it with humor and, uh, he's been a blessing to me as far as his, uh, his humor, his takes. He stands for traditional masculinity, for for um, you know this idea that women are not equal to men. Uh, we're not equal. Stop trying to make them equal. In fact, we put women on a pedestal because they give us children. They're worth protecting. They're magic. They're special not equal they're special they're above men you know what i mean we, we put our women above us almost always in protection and stuff like this and i'm just i'm so tired of the narrative that we're oppressing these poor victims and that women you know trudeau actually came out the other day and suggested that women are getting COVID, are getting in um uh, are feeling the impl uh, the implications the the impacts of COVID more than men are. I'm like, what? The, just stop yeah. making these beautiful creatures victims. They're not powerless. They don't need our help. No, they need some things from us. You know what we normally do well as men, they mm-hmm. will appreciate, and what we don't do well as as men, they they, they yeah, they're, they're the, the only same. ones that can do. You know, like I know. we can't yeah. breastfeed. I know. You know.
1: Like, we're, 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 we're different. Like, yeah. we're, we're not, better, not man. worse. We have strengths. I'm, I'm all have, for
0: equal treatment. We have yeah.
1: different strengths and together, if we can come into this kind of a mm-hmm. harmony between the male and the female, that's the magic. Mm-hmm. When you've got this separation and we're kind of just both looking at each other, of like Will you guys do this. Well, you guys, do that? we should be able to do that. We create the separation. We disempower the whole thing. There has to be a, a harmony. Like it's, you know, it's like, It's like when you have a band, you got the percussion and you got the the brass and you got the piano Like one's not better than the other. You need them Mm -hmm. all in the mix doing their thing and then that's how you can have the magic. Mm -hmm.
0: Anyways, where I was going with that is I find Gavin very funny and I participated on his show usually as as a caller and I will call in with a little bit of a comedy bit. They're very Politically incorrect. They're funny as hell, especially the way he answers my calls just off the cuff. And I get to release some of my humor on society and it's tolerated in in his universe. Anyway, every time I upload a clip, I'm on my fifth YouTube channel now. I had a really successful YouTube channel over 10 years that I blew up last November. Until March, I blew it up from 200 subs to 6,000, and from 100,000 views to 3 million views in a, in a few months, and started making some decent money. And then they just St. Patrick's Day done, gone, never to return for no reason, no community guideline strikes, no hate speech strikes, you know. And it was it wasn't all my content it wasn't like everyone people you know three million views were watching the Jim Fannin show no they were watching clips of Gavin McInnes or Ricky Gervais at the Golden Globes or whatever Brad Pitt making you know Jennifer Aniston making gazing eyes like I had some really strange things go to a million views and now as soon as I post a Gavin McInnes clip usually they're clips of me calling being a jackass and it's not even foul language or even hate speech or anything like that Within, I don't know. Usually a week, I've got a community guideline strike against yeah. me just because it's he's banned from that platform and YouTube's oh. cranking down on anything that is associated with them because of course he's a white supremacist bigot. All these, you know, he did a he did a segment in Israel. He was over there when he was with Rebel News uh, or Rebel back then. He was with Ezra Levant. They were in Israel and they gave. Um, He does a stand-up routine that's loaded with political humor and analysis and opinion, and it's great. And he did a segment called... um, I shouldn't even probably say this because we're on YouTube. Uh, It's called 10 Things I Hate About the... And he was in Israel, let's just put it... And I think it was 10 Things I Hate About the M.F.N." right? And he was in Israel, gave it to a bunch of Jews... And he was just being, oh, like, would you guys stop complaining about the genocide? Like, come on, man. It was so like, he just overt um, parody, huh. you know? Yeah. And um, no, he's, no one's ever seen the video because Ezra took it down. There's no copies of it floating around, but people know that he did this bit so that they have this thing. Oh, well, he did this thing. He hates Jews. No, he's a huge fan of Israel. He talks about it all the time. But, but now the the SPLC is, deemed him a hate group, just like the Proud Boys, which he founded, a drinking club, you know, and uh, so he's one of the most censored human beings other than Alex Jones, you got Milo Yiannopoulos, they're all, you know, a lot of those misfits are on his network now, but as soon as you put up something, and usually, like I said, it would be a, I put up a 40 second clip where they're comparing me to Copper Cab, which is a character on the show as a phenom on um, YouTube, and they were comparing me to him, you know, simping or whatever. And it was 39 seconds. They didn't swear. All they did was talk about Delphine. What's her name? Delphine. You know, the girl that sells her bathwater on the internet. <laughs> She's a YouTube star, <laughs> full makeup, always dressed provocatively. And yeah, she sells her bathwater to perverts who think it's cool or whatever. Soon, I guess wow. that's what got me taken down. Now, her channel's fine she's a multi-millionaire from her channel she's monetized but i have a 39 second clip about them talking about her and me and copper cabin the same thing and i got a community guideline strike i put up a video the other day of a of a young black kid dressed as a cop on the on the parade route i don't know what it was but this cop had stopped his car and got out and was you know down talking to the kid and I got taken down a community guideline strike for um, promoting violence against children somehow. Hmm. So I know it won't be, I, I won't be long. Well, enough. listen, you know,
1: you know, what I would say to that is a couple of things. First of all, there's going to be wild cards, wild cards like black swan type of events, right? Things that happen that people, no one saw coming. And I don't know what they're going to be, but they're going to happen and they're going to change things quickly. Like this whole mm. pandemic was kind of a wild card Right, It just came out of nowhere and all of a sudden, bam. So we're going to see more of these kinds of things. Not that they're good, they're bad or whatever, they just they cause existing paradigms to break or existing institutions to break. Big Pharma is going to break. It's going to break. I, I don't know if it's going to be this year or next year the year after. It's going to break. It's going to get cut right there. So something's going to happen, a couple things are going to happen, it's going to break. So. The other thing is, you know, I think the same is going to be with uh, Facebook and Google. Something's going to happen. You you can't have this kind of lack of integrity. The new energy is just not going to allow it. Something's going to break there as well. I remember when Facebook and MySpace back in the day when that stuff first started and no one really knew what it was and then it started and then look what it became. I think that something like a parlor. Cause I look at, you know, I got into Facebook so early and I got into MySpace so early and I've had to really, you know, given it more attention. And I, 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 I grew this, you know, my Facebook following really quickly just because of what of the work I was doing, I was meeting a lot of people, but I could see parlor, you know, five years goes by quick five years from now, what could happen and where parlor could end up. So I wouldn't, I don't want to discount it. I don't want to necessarily put all my eggs in that basket, but, I think I'm definitely going to just keep it going, yeah. you know? I think there could be a time when there could be a pretty big shift. So well,
0: I'm out there. I just don't want it to become a conservative echo chamber where it's, to, you know, you don't do. have the diversity that's the other of opinion. Thing. Yeah, right? that's like, the other
1: thing. I don't want to just hear, you know, I'm straight and I'm conservative, so mm-hmm. I'm parlor. Yeah, exactly. I don't really want that. But, I want it to be more of a libertarian kind of a thing.
0: Yeah. Amen, brother. So, yeah. hey i hear your kids in the background i've had you hit an hour and a half today They just so got they're...
1: back from their walk it sounds like all right so, man well, yeah.
0: <laughs> give my love to the wife and the rest of the family uh, i appreciate okay. you man it been a great yeah trip.
1: awesome awesome uh catching up and good to see you looking good and um yeah well i'm sure we'll be in touch
0: yeah uh next time you find an excuse to come to niagara uh look me up or let's book a let's book a hang maybe a little jam Yeah, well, like we
1: used to come to niagara a lot and we actually thought about doing it again now we figured b&bs are probably you know not so busy so it's the safest to, place maybe to... now is a good time to take like a few days away yeah, so and
0: niagara and the lake's beautiful this time of year brother
1: yeah we used to we would always come a bit we'd come in the fall then we come again in the spring so mm. it's just been a couple of years now so.
0: yeah a hike down the gorge would be cool with the kids and the wife yeah yeah. How yeah, old are the yeah, kids no, It's now? one of
1: our go to spots for sure.
0: How so old are the girls now?
1: Waiting to get back. What?
0: How old are the girls now?
1: Uh one just turned two, the other one just turned six. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. They're oh. they're doing great. They're they're, they're magical. They're yeah. they're
0: awesome. Awesome, man Yeah. All right, brother. I love you. Enjoy okay. All right. We'll Enjoy talk the soon. rest
1: of your night. All right, brother. Okay, All take right. care.
0: Go All Eagles. Right. All right. Peace out, bro.
1: Yeah,
0: that's it. Well, that's how you do that. ED, my brother. That's an old friend of mine from the Green Party days. Thanks for the time, bro. That was really cool. Um, Yeah, we had him on way too long. It's four o'clock almost. PM EST. Thanks for joining us. Peace. Love. Hug your neighbor. And uh, why don't you rip that mask off while you're going for a walk and exercising? You.